0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Corporate Global Fantasy Premier League podcast. How the heck are you? It's good to be back with you guys. Um, It's been a little bit, but I'm really glad to be recording this uh, solo mission that is just me talking to you about Fantasy Premier League. Um, Hopefully, Evan and I will be back in the studio together once again um, here in the next couple of weeks. But it's been a pretty busy, time of the year. So I'm just taking it as we can get it and trickling out the content that you guys all crave. Um, awesome. So just to say a little bit about what the podcast is going to be like today. Um, first, I'm going to run down the Corporate Global Fantasy Premier League table, talk about some of the things that are going on there. Uh, then I'm going to go over the a couple of Premier League games from the past week and talk about you know, who are the teams that are hot and which teams are not hot. Um, I'll go over some uh, kind of more or less housekeeping with um, some double game week changes that have come up recently and other kind of uh, technical things that it would be useful for folks to know going into the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, my wildcard pick. Because or picks, because I'm considering using my wild card ahead of this game week, ahead of game week. Uh, I believe we're looking at 33. Uh, and then lastly, we'll kind of close out with um, a little uh, discussion of some interesting goal celebrations that have been happening recently that I want to talk about. Um, so that's kind of where we're headed. And to get us started off, I'm going to run down the current uh, Corporate Global Fantasy Premier League standings. Um, so starting from the top, we've got, um, Evan Estes, uh, Bosch habit, and then a full 60 points behind him. We have Wyatt Keener with shove it. now between second place and fourth place, there's only a difference of 30 points. So, uh, after Wyatt, <coughs> excuse me, comes Eli Estes, um, Tangy take me home. He's about, uh, 18 points behind Wyatt and then, About another uh, 13 points behind Eli is uh, Smeagol Golem, Rob Griffith, who has been just kind of shooting up the table recently, which has been good to see following uh, a really cogent wild card, I believe, last week. Um, And then after Rob, about uh, looks like 50 points behind him, we've got me, I test ink, and then hot on my heels, uh, rising in the ranks is uh, Tim Griffith's proper prospects, and he's kind of in a battle for sixth place currently with William Spicer, who dropped down to seventh place. Um, they're I think they have eight points separating them currently, um, with the Bruce Matthews. And then uh in the kind of lower mid-table, we've got SLC hairs, Evan Hare, and then uh Mr. Fantasy Football, Jake Hare. Both of those teams seem pretty nailed on for those places, although we could see some uh movement. Uh, obviously, in the last couple of game weeks, and then we've got a little bit of a scrap going down at the very bottom of the league um, with uh, Jerry Groth Soccer Two and Snaptown FC. Uh, Reed Zimmerman's team kind of flip flopping back and forth on different game weeks but, uh, between tenth place and that last eleventh place spot. So, a lot of interesting things going on, kind of in what we might consider like the Champions League spots, so two, three, and four, and then the relegation battle. Um, between Jerry Groth and Reed Zimmerman. The, that's kind of, oh, and then the mid-tame, mid-table battle between Tim Griffith and William Spicer. Those are kind of the big battles that we have going into uh, what I guess will be the last um, maybe five or so game weeks of the season, maybe six. Um, although you never know why it could overtake Evan here with a couple of good game weeks. So I'm really interested to see how this uh, end of the season plays out. Um, Okay, so just to talk about a couple of things that happened this game week, I'm going to pull up um, some of the scores. Um, I want to maybe go about this by mentioning the teams that are hot and the teams that aren't hot. Um, So number one on the teams that I have who are hot is, um, and this should come as no surprise, is Antonio Conte's Spurs, now officially known as Antonio Conte's Spurs as opposed to just Spurs, Um, because they do seem to be playing more or less in the way that Antonio Conte wants them to play and not kind of in a hybrid, um, you know, residual Nuno Espirito Santo way. Um, and that earned them a five, one win at Newcastle this past weekend. That was just some absolutely remarkable play in that game between son and Kane. And then between Kulisevsky and son, um, there were goals that didn't happen that should have happened that, um, just remarkable stuff. The, the kind of chemistry they have going forward, those three, especially um, is great. It's a little bit sad for people like Lucas Mora who kind of have been um, shut out of that attacking side recently, but um, it's been really wonderful to see and their defense has been pretty good too. You know, they, obviously they gave up a goal to Newcastle. I think Newcastle even scored first in that game, which is kind of interesting. Um, But overall, they've been pretty good defensively um, and that is something to think about going forward fantasy wise. Um, alongside them, Arsenal are playing very well. Obviously, they had a really terrible game this past weekend at um, Crystal Palace. I guess it was on Monday um, against Crystal Palace where they lost three to nothing. Um, But I don't think that erases the fact that Arsenal are playing very well and that um, that run-in between them and Tottenham for the fourth-place spot is going to be very, very interesting, especially considering I think that around game week 36, maybe, um, they're set to play one another in, uh, the final North London derby of the season. Um, so we can look forward to that Spurs and Arsenal game coming up. Um, you know, I think in the same way that Conte has Spurs playing in the way that we would assume Conte wants them to play. Um, I think that Mikel Arteta has finally gotten that Arsenal side or at least, um, elements of that Arsenal side to play in the way that he's wanted. And it's taken quite a long time. There's been a lot of dross to get through, um, but it seems to have been uh, working recently, which is nice. Uh, In the same way that we've got two informed teams vying for the fourth place spot, we've also got two informed teams vying for the top spot in the league. Uh, I have both Liverpool and Man City um, on my kind of hot list. And that's partially because of, uh, recent Premier League form, but also both of them just won um, their Champions League games this past week. So um, Man City beat, um, uh, who did Man City beat? They beat Atletico Madrid, 1-0, um, on a pretty interesting game, a game in which Jack Grealish seemed to have been fouled every minute he was on the pitch, which was very interesting. Um, and Liverpool beat Benfica 3-1. Uh, to one. Uh, and I think that game was at home, although I can't remember. Um, actually it might've been away. I don't remember, but, uh, Luis Diaz scored in that game. Sadio Mane scored in that game. And I think Divac Rhee might've scored something like that. Um, so it looks likely that both of those teams are going to progress through the Champions League. Um, and if Chelsea, when they're, uh, tie against, um, Real Madrid, which, um, is taking place as i speak i have it recording so i'm not going to look at the scores um but then three of the final four teams will be premier league teams which will be very very um interesting i don't know that that's necessarily healthy for the champions league but i think it speaks to the quality of the of the premier league at the moment um i will just say while i'm talking champions league my uh money is on Bayern Munich to win the Champions League this year a little bit of a long shot defensively they're not very strong but offensively they are better than any team in the world right now and I think that if you pair them against someone like Man City um, I think that they'll be able to take Man City frankly. And Liverpool, maybe I think would would be a harder game for them just because Liverpool is a little bit more of a traditional team. Man City is a little bit non-traditional. Um, but yeah, I I think Bayern Munich will win the Champions League this year. So you can chalk that one up, folks. Um, the other teams, the there are two other teams that I have on my kind of hot list. And one is Crystal Palace, obviously coming off a 3-0 win against Arsenal. Um, the th- things that Patrick Beer, is doing at that team are incredible. Obviously, um, Connor Gallagher has had a great season. Wilfred Zaha is having a decent season. Um, Mateta, uh, scored in that game who is a super high value forward. Um, I spoiler alert, I may be bringing him in as a part of my wildcard team. We'll see. Um, but that they've been exciting to watch Tyreek Mitchell, um, got a call up to the England team along with, um, along with, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Gay? GUI, I'm not sure. Um, and Connor Gallagher. So three, I believe it's three Crystal Palace players got calls up for the England squad for this most recent international break. And I think that just speaks to the, um, the quality of that team right now. And then lastly, and there's I don't really have anything new to add, but Wolves obviously continue their run of excellence. They don't really have much to play for at the moment because they're pretty much assured from, I don't know about assured, but they seem to be have cinched. Um, oh no, that's not true. They're currently sitting in eighth place. Um, so they actually do have um, European football still to play for. Um, but they're a full 12 points. It looks like ahead of crystal palace. So they don't look in much danger of dropping out of the eighth spot, which gets them in the euros. Um, not the Euros, um, the, uh, what's, what am I thinking of? Whatever the secondary team international competition is, um, for some reason, all I can think of right now is the Euros, which is, it is not. Um, but anyway, they're playing well. They beat Aston Villa this past weekend. Aston Villa, um, have not been able to maintain their good run of form that they had when Steven Gerrard started. And in fact, things are probably only going to get, worst from here on out they've got a really tough run in so that's a team maybe to avoid over the next couple weeks from a fantasy perspective I know I'm planning to get rid of all of my Aston Villa assets including Jacob Ramsey and Philippe Coutinho over the next week or so um and then the teams that are really struggling right now I mean uh Everton is on the top of my list unfortunately I actually am recording this as um uh Everton, the final whistle blows in Everton Burnley and Burnley has come back to win, uh, come back from two, one, I believe, um, to win three, two over Everton, which frankly was a huge game because, uh, Burnley and Everton are both vying to stay out of the, um, relegation zone. And I think as I update my table, this may be reflected, um, But I think that may even put Burnley in 17th place in Everton in um, 18th place. I'm not totally sure about that. But either way, it's a real scrap there at the bottom. Um, And that'll be interesting to see. Now, Everton do have, I believe, a game in hand on Burnley. I could be wrong about that, but I believe they do. Um, So that's another thing to keep in mind is that um, there's more games to be played. And some teams have, um, especially, have more games than others. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. I also think Watford have been pretty abysmal recently. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Is that I, I'd probably avoid Watford assets. I think they've pretty much resigned themselves to going down as have Norwich. Um, it's just that last spot of um, of eighteenth place that's up for grabs. And I do want to, you know, eat crow a little bit here publicly on my call out of Brentford, because if you remember at about halfway through the season, I predicted it was going to be Burnley, Norwich city and Brentford going down. And they've really, um, they've really kind of ripped me a new one on that recently because they beat, um, Chelsea this past week three one, which I don't think anyone expected. And, uh, just a real feel good story with Christian Erickson coming back and playing really well. And in fact, now that I say that maybe I'll incorporate him into my wildcard team, I could see that happening. Um, depending on what his price is, um, but Christian Erickson is back. He's scoring goals and, um, Brentford seem to have found a kind of, um, a little bit of fight here at the end of the year, which is nice to see. And it's, uh, certainly at this point, seems like it's going to keep them above the relegation zone. Okay. Uh, so with that, let's talk a little bit about, um, some double game weeks coming up. So a couple of these things have just been solidified, um, recently. And so I wanted to let everyone know things to look out for because of the last few game weeks there, I think are going to be three and possibly four, um, more double game weeks. So, oh, and also some blank game weeks too, I think, um, but I don't have the information for blank game weeks in front of me. So you'll have to go and look up that information yourself. Uh, So in terms of double game weeks, we're going into week uh, 33. No, we're going into week 32. I apologize. Um, And after week 32, we've got week 33 coming up. And week 33 is going to be a double game week with um, Arsenal, Brighton, Burnley, Leicester, Liverpool, Man United, Newcastle, and Southampton all having double game weeks in game week 33. Um, And then there's going to be a couple of non-double game weeks. And then game week 36 is also going to be a double game week. And that is going to be uh, Arsenal, Villa, Chelsea, Everton, Leeds, Leicester, Liverpool, Norwich, Tottenham and Watford and then game week 37 is going to be a double game week as well and that's going to be Aston Villa Burnley Chelsea Crystal Palace Everton and Leicester so there won't be double game weeks in the last game week because that's game week 38 I believe is the last one um let me check that there might be a 39th game week this year no nope, 38 And that's because traditionally on the last game week of the year, everyone plays at the same time. Um, So it leads to some real nice drama. um, And so there will not be any double game weeks in the last game week. So 37 is the last possible game week um, that could be doubled. So keep that in mind, just kind of um, that there are going to be teams that have more games than others. And in fact, if you look at kind of how that breaks down, you've got three teams with three extra fixtures. That's Everton, Chelsea, and Leicester. You've got one, two, three, four, five, five teams with two extra fixtures. That's Arsenal, Burnley, Villa, Palace, and Liverpool. And then you've got a bunch of teams with one extra fixtures. That's Brighton, Leeds, Man City, Maine, United, Newcastle, Norwich, Southampton, Tottenham, Watford, and Wolves. So if you're thinking about the last, you know, six or seven game weeks as um, kind of a cohesive chunk, Um that's one way to think about that chunk is, you know, how many extra fixtures does each team have and Brentford and West Ham are the two that don't have any extra fixtures. So that might be some, something that goes into your thinking. Um, Speaking of kind of taking the last couple of weeks, not couple the last six or seven game weeks as a chunk. um, I'm kind of thinking about doing that um, by taking my last my final wild card this week. And the reason why I think I'm going to do that is one, my team is not looking very good. So um, let me go to my team really quickly. So I've got Kieran Tierney who's injured. I've got Coutinho and Ramsey um, who, as I mentioned, even though they have extra game weeks, do not have um, necessarily good fixtures coming up. I'm looking at Villas fixtures and they're decent, but they also have a blank game week on 33. Um, when other teams have doubled. So I'm going to try to get rid of them. Um, and then I've also got, you know, like vague horse who I brought in for the double game week this week, um, some dead wood that I'm trying to get rid of. And there's some players that I really want to bring in. Um, so I'm planning to, uh, at least at this point, planning to wild card this week. Um, and so I'll talk through a little bit of my thinking for that. Cause I think, it's kind of a weird time to try to wildcard because you're trying to plan for three possible double game weeks, but I think it's doable if you have some principles. And so I'll mention what my principles are. Um, So maybe I'll just read out, maybe this is the best way to do it. Maybe I'll just read out who I'm thinking of for my wildcard team. And I don't think this is really giving away, you know, too much because um we've all got such different teams that I don't suspect that you know this is going to um affect my chances of for instance getting into fourth place much um but for what it's worth here's what I'm thinking I think I'm going to get uh the Leicester handcuffs at goalkeeper I think I'm going to get Kasper Schmeichel and this uh Jakupovic guy who is the current backup um and that's partially because they have three extra game weeks um, and then I'm gonna get uh and then I will have at the end of this wild card, at least as I have it set up now. Again, I may bring someone like Christian Eriksen in. Um, that's something I literally just thought about now as I'm recording this. So maybe I'll go back and reconfigure some of this. Um, but at least as of the beginning of this podcast, this is how my wild card team would look. Uh so in the back, I've got Doherty, uh Reese James, Cancelo, Laporte, and Javier Manquillo. In midfield, I've got Saka, Kulisevsky, Brownhill, Salah, and De Bruyne. And then up front, I've got Kane, Mateta, and Cucho Hernandez. Um, so I'll say a bit about what, um, what, I, what my principles were in picking this team. And my principles were these, basically two principles. The first is I wanted to bring in teams with extra games as much as possible. Um, so that's kind of where the Schmeichel came in. That's kind of where the Doherty came in. Although both those players, especially Doherty is playing really well. Um, and then the other principle was, I really wanted to bring in players who had something to play for. I feel like that can be really important at the end of the season. Um, if you, uh, you know, it's kind of a phenomenon and it's more or less a a cliche of, um, of the end of the season to say that certain teams are on the beach, right? That they, um, don't have much to play for. So they will more or less like phone in, um, performances now, whether or not that actually rep- accurately represents what's actually happening on the field is another question, but it's definitely a way people think about the end of the season in particular teams. And I tend to like to have teams that players and teams have something to play for, and it's also more fun just like, cause I'm more likely to be watching those games. Like I'm probably not going to watch many Brighton games for the rest of the season or West Ham games. Um, uh, those are teams that I consider to be more or less on the beach at this point in the sense that they don't have anything to play for. And I will be probably watching a lot of man city games. I'll be watching a lot of Tottenham games. I'll be watching Liverpool games. Um, and I'll probably be watching Leicester games and Chelsea games too. um, So those are things to think about is, you know, I like to avoid players from teams who are on the beach. I like to gravitate to players who have something to play for. So that's kind of how those two principles, um, the having extra games and then um, um, being from teams that have uh, skin in the game at this point were kind of too, they, they weren't determinative wholly, but they were kind of informative to the way that I thought about putting this together. Um, so a couple of things to note about this team that I'm thinking about. One is I, at least in its current iteration, don't have Trent, Alexander, Arnold, or Andrew Robertson. Um, and that's something that I am a little bit ambivalent about, but, um, another thing that I really wanted was I wanted to have De Bruyne and Salah in my midfield, um, I considered a version of this without Salah just because his form has been a little bit off. He's been playing a lot of soccer recently, but I think, you know, wiser heads prevailed in the sense that it's, it's worth keeping solid just even for a kind of insurance policy. But I really did want De Bruyne because he's playing really well. He's playing with a team that's playing really well. And that should be really fun um, coming into the end of the season. And I wanted him more than someone like son, because De Bruyne has a chance of taking penalties for instance, and free kicks in a way that son doesn't quite. And even now with, you know, the advent of, um, Kulisevsky at Tottenham, I think son's getting a little bit less of the pie these days. Um, I, those words may come back to bite me, especially thinking back to that five one win over Newcastle son had a lot of the chances, but you know, can't win them all. Um, so, I'm going to have De Bruyne and Sala in the midfield. And so that kind of necessitated downgrading at defense um, or defense. Um, and one of the ways that I did that was downgrading from Trent Alexander Arnold to Reese James. I don't think that there's a huge difference between the two, and the price difference is massive. Trent Alexander Arnold is, I think, 1.6 million more expensive than James. So that for me, was kind of the thing is like, you know, I'm giving up some quality, I think, and potential for points, but I'm also gaining a lot of spending power in other places. And so that allowed me to upgrade from someone, even like a son to a De Bruyne, which is something I wanted to do. Um I also decided to go really light at forward. So I knew I wanted Kane. I think it makes a lot of sense to keep Kane in your team. He's playing a lot farther back recently, which is a little bit frustrating, but the amount of penalty kicks that he will get from now to the end of the season and the goal, the amount of goals and assists, even that he'll he'll rack up, I think makes it worth it. And so in addition to Kane, I went really, really light at forward. So I went with Mateta and Cucho Hernandez, who, um, maybe violate the kind of on-the-beach policy a little bit. Um, you could argue that Watford doesn't have anything to play for, that they're already relegated, although um, I think the table would probably say otherwise because they're only a couple points behind Burnley slash Everton. Um, so there's a chance they stay up, and um, in that case, that would require a lot of goals from someone like Cujo Hernandez. So that could be interesting. And then is just playing really well, and Crystal Palace have uh, kind of, I think two extra games coming up. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, trying to think what else do I want to say about this team? It's kind of weird. It's a little bit min maxi, uh, especially in the midfield and forward, but that's, I really wanted to have solid De Bruyne and Kane, um, as I'm trying to make up a lot of ground between myself and Rob Smeagol Golem. Um, I think I really need those players. Um, to find a way to have those players. And if I'm going to make up that ground at all, it's probably going to come through those players rather than, you know, just randomly selecting the right, like seven and a half price midfielder. Like, you know, I thought about getting, for instance, Kai Havertz in midfield, which would make sense, but there's a rotation risk there and it's just all a little bit messy. So I went this way. Um, So call me a min maxer if you want, but this is what I ended up going with. Uh, I'd be interested, if anyone else is wildcarding, I'd be interested to hear what people are thinking in the Discord especially. Um, And because I think that at this point, there's a lot of different, like a a wildcard team could look very different depending on who you are. Um, Because I think Bruno Fernandez could be a viable option, especially if you're targeting double game weeks. That opens up a lot of teams that opens up your Leicesters in a way that maybe they haven't been opened up recently and your Crystal Palaces and even Everton thought about getting DCL in here, but um just on the by virtue of the fact that they have three extra games, but um decided against it. So yeah, interested to hear what everyone has to has to say about their teams and if they are planning on wildcarding at all, what that is gonna look like. I'm especially interested in if people other than Robert are planning on getting in Kevin De now. Um, cause that seems to have gone well for Rob so far. And I think there's a world in which that works out really well from now to the end of the season, although they will have champions league games to contend with. So that's something to keep in mind as, as well, Liverpool, you know, so not exclusive to Man City. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so I've talked about most of the things on my list of things to talk about. The last thing I just want to mention before I sign off is, um, I wanted to talk about something that I've really enjoyed over the past couple of months in the Premier League, and I think maybe it's become more prominent in uh, the last couple years as we've seen. This is maybe recency bias, and I may just not have the kind of perspective as a as a kind of lifelong Premier League watcher that I ought to in order to make these claims, but it does seem like recently coaches that is managers have gotten much more emotional on the touchline in both good and bad ways. So obviously there's like historical precedent for, you know, Jose Mourinho going wild on the touchline when he was coaching for inter and Porto and Chelsea early on and things like that. Um, and i'm sure you're like way back into the history of the premier league there's lots of you know um oldies who did a lot of emotional things on the on the touchline and were very um kind of vociferous and um yeah just really got into the game in that way uh but it seems like with this kind of crop of coaches that we have there are particular coaches who really gravitate to that and we have a lot of those coaches in the premier league right now so thomas tuchel is one um uh obviously we've got I think Jesse Marsh is definitely one Antonio Conte is maybe the prime example. Um if you watched um the even the highlights of the Tottenham versus Newcastle game, uh the scenes of him like running and jumping into the arms of his um his coaching staff were pretty amazing, especially for a guy who's probably pushing, probably pushing late 50s, 60 years old. Um it's a lot of A lot of uh, strenuous activity to put on yourself. Um, So I I think this is mostly a good thing in the sense of, you know, coaches I think are increasingly acting as um, avatars for um, fans themselves, right? They're reacting to the game in the way that a fan would uh, and not necessarily just doing the kind of Marcelo Bielsa or Patrick Vieira thing of like sitting there and just... Letting the game happen and not getting super emotionally invested. They seem to be very emotionally invested in the games in the way a fan might. Um, and I think that can be bad. I think it's I noticed this a lot recently with Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel, but there's a lot more, it seems to me, of managers um complaining to reps about like individual, like small calls. Obviously, you'll have like, you know, your complaints to refs about like big calls like yellow cards and things like that. But I feel like there's a lot more just like partisan appeals to refs on the part of managers on like throw-ins that obviously don't shouldn't be for their team, but that they're nevertheless advocating for um, free kicks, you know, complaining free kicks. It obviously should be free kicks, these kinds of things that I think it's a little bit unbecoming for coaches to get into uh, frankly. And so I think that's maybe a little bit the, the dark side of this emotional, um, coaching style, but I think overall it's a good thing. And, and one of the things that it has led to, and this is why I wanted to talk about it is, uh, we got a really good example of my favorite, I think my absolute favorite kind of goal celebration, um, this weekend with the Antonio Rudiger goal against Brentford. Um, and, that celebration is one where the player who scores goes over and like runs over and kind of points to and hugs the manager on the touchline. And it's just like a really interesting moment. And it seems like a variant of a more common and also a, a a, um, another goal celebration that I really like, but a variant of, of the celebration where the goal scorer will, um, rather than kind of going off into a corner on their own and celebrating and having everyone come to them, they'll point to and go over and celebrate with the person who assisted them. So this happens a lot with son and Kane, uh, interestingly more with son uh, doing it uh, acknowledging Kane than it is with Kane and acknowledging son, funnily enough. Um, and it happens a lot with like Liverpool players as well. Um, like you'll have oftentimes, you know, your, um, your Sadio Mane's or your Luis Ds's um, going and acknowledging the sick cross that Andy Robertson or Trent Alexander Arnold whipped in for them, and this is, I think, a really cool celebration. Is like just acknowledging the importance of the whole team to creating this, and so that's kind of why I think the coach, the coach's version or the managerial version of that celebration is so interesting because, to me, what it says is. Um, that you know, in the same way that going and pointing to the person who gave you an assist says like, "Oh, you made this happen." I think going over to the coach, pointing to the coach, running over and kind of celebrating with them and hugging them says like, "Oh, you made this happen." In the way like, in a way like saying, you know, uh, your your uh, three center back system that has us uh, you know sit deep and hit them on the break with explosive play from our fullbacks and kind of a false nine um you you made this happen with that formation and you're you're kind of tactical announce is what brought this about and i think that's just kind of a really funny thing to happen um obviously it's probably overreading things a little bit it's probably more just like maybe they had had a conversation about something previously and it's a callback to that, that something we're not privy to, but as a, as a spectator, that's how it reads to me is like your tactics made this happen in the same way that, uh, and the sisters assist made a goal happen. And I I think that's a really funny and interesting, uh, response to a goal is like, you know, acknowledgement of the tactical, the tactical genius that led to it. Um, and I think it plays into this idea of, managers as kind of like masterminds who especially of the like pet Guardiola style who are just kind of moving pieces around and whatever um i think that's really funny okay i think that covers everything for us today we talked about um the premier league tape or the corporate global fantasy premier league table we talked about the premier league we talked about Uh, double game weeks we talked about my wild card and we talked about goal celebration so i think that's everything that i wanted to cover um if anyone has any questions about anything um feel free to let us know in the discord i'm looking forward to watching some games uh this weekend especially um so looking forward to seeing you all there i will see you later bye